All right, well, good morning again, everybody. Thanks for being here today. My name is Benny, and I get to serve here as lead pastor, and we're so thankful that you're here. Anybody been watching The Chosen at home? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, if you haven't downloaded it, you should. It's a, it's a great depiction of the Gospels, and uh, we kind of got that trailer from The Chosen. And uh, we are in a series on uh, the book of the Gospel according to Matthew. But we want to thank you all for being here. If you're here in the room, now would be a good time to check in and uh, let your friendly, friendly family friends know that uh, you're worshiping here on this uh, Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, we want to give a special welcome to those of you who are joining online, maybe for the first time. You know, our mission is, is pretty simple here at Calvary, but it aligns with what Jesus told us to do. Love God, love people, and change the world. And that's what we are all about here at Calvary, and we're so glad that you could join us uh, today. Well, we again are in the uh, book of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, and of course a couple of weeks ago we looked at the lineage and the family tree of Jesus. And uh, Matthew is making the claim, this is who Jesus is. And so he gives evidence that he was in the royal line of uh, both Abraham and King David. And then we looked in great detail at that genealogy and how God can use anybody to bring out his purposes. Isn't that good news? And then last week we looked in great detail at the relationship between Joseph and Mary and how they lived a godly life, uh, set apart for the things of the Lord. They lived, uh, they lived a holy, righteous life. They, were, they weren't perfect, uh, but they lived according to uh, their love for the law and their love for the Lord. And so today we are actually going to move in to chapter 2. Again, this is uh, probably most famous for part of the Christmas story. When you uh, read this part of the story along with Luke chapter 2, you probably think Christmas. Uh, but we are going to meet the Magi here as we move into uh, chapter 2 of, of uh, the book of Matthew. It says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them that the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Hey, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
So again, uh, this is real famous as part of the Christmas story. And uh, sometimes when we read this, we think of that song, We three kings of Orient are. Sing it with me. I'm kidding. Don't sing it. (laughs) But uh, we we sing that song. And we're not even told that there were three kings. In our human creativity, we kind of imagine, well, there must have been three kings because there were three gifts. But we're not even sure how many magi or wise men from the east came to to see Jesus. But right away in Matthew chapter 2, he gives us a very important detail. He tells us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. Now again, keep in mind, his original audience are Jewish people. Jewish people would have known to be looking for the Messiah to come from the town of Bethlehem. In fact, we just read that uh, when Herod called the the chief priests and, and, and uh, and the religious leaders, he said, tell me about this. What was prophesied? Well, they actually knew the prophecy from the prophet Micah. Centuries earlier, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, he prophesies, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, I love how specific and detailed God and his word are. He spoke through the prophet Micah that the Messiah must be born, must come from this little obscure town, in fact, the town known as the town of of King David, called Bethlehem. But for this to happen, there was going to have to be some divine intervention because Mary and Joseph didn't live in Bethlehem, did they? They were from a town called Nazareth in the region of Galilee. Well, that's 100 miles north of Bethlehem. So how is this unassuming family from Nazareth going to have a baby born in Bethlehem? Well, how many of you know that God is in the details? God can uh, cause the impossible and the improbable to happen with no problem at all. And so at this point in Israel's history, they were being occupied by Rome. The Romans were occupying, and they were the ruling government of the day, and the government wanted more money. Does that sound familiar to anybody? The government was in search of some more income. So the Roman government said, hey, we need to take a census. We need to find out who all of the citizens, who all are living here in this region of Israel so we can, we can make sure that they are paying their fair share to the government. We need to make sure that we're getting their, uh, their taxes. And so they, uh, they made a decree that, hey, we need to take a census. We need to record and register everyone who lives around here. Well, to do so... You had to register in your hometown, not where you were living. You had to go back to your town of origin. So for me, living here in, uh, in the Frederick area of, of Maryland, I would have to take my family, leave Maryland. Uh, go, I mean, my folks and their folks were born in northeast Texas, so we'd probably have to travel there. Or, or perhaps maybe even before that, we'd have to go to Great Britain. I don't know. But we'd have to leave where we're at to go register. Well, it just so happens that this young couple from Nazareth, Joseph and Mary, 
headed toward Bethlehem because Joseph, of course, was a descendant of King David, and King David's hometown was Bethlehem. So this young couple had to leave Nazareth, head for Bethlehem, and it just so happens that when they're headed down at the time of the census, that Mary happens to be pregnant. And she also happens to be a virgin, by the way. And it just so happens that as she's getting close to the time of birth, that they arrive in this obscure little town that the prophet Micah spoke about that the Messiah would have to be born in. So can you picture with me this very pregnant woman being required to hit the road and travel south a little bit? Now, I've, I know this is going to come as shocking news. I've never been pregnant before. But I can, I can only imagine that the last thing a very pregnant, I mean, this baby's about to come out. The last thing they want to do is travel. The last thing they're probably wanting to do is travel 100 miles by foot, by donkey, on a rough road, probably lots of dirt and dust and, uh, and bumps and, and hills. It's, it's, a rough, it's a rough time for a pregnant woman to be traveling. But God knew where she needed to be, and when she needed to be there. I mean, she was only going to be there for a short window of, window of time, just long enough for Joseph to register his family. And as they arrive in Bethlehem, it just so happens that Mary is going to have this baby. He's coming out. There's nothing she can do to happen. And it just so happens that this baby, that this unassuming couple from Nazareth is going to have, this baby is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, You know what that tells us today? It tells me that God is in the details. God's in the details. And guess what? He's in the details of your life too. He can place you where you need, when you need to be there. Where you need, when you need to be there to interact with the specific people that you need to interact with, to, uh, to meet and connect with the destiny that he has for you, even in the middle of a greedy government. He is a God of the details that can get you to where you need to be when you need to be there. God is very specific. He's very detailed. Every word from God is inspired. It's life-giving. It's true. It's even historically accurate. Do you believe that? The word of God is true, but more than that, it's actually historically accurate. Well, how do you know the Bible is true? How do you know this Christianity thing is is more than just a fairy tale? How do we really know that Christ is the true Messiah? Well, the apostle Peter wrote to the church to encourage them, and this is what he said in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 16. He's writing to the church, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic messages as something completely reliable. 
And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin origin in, in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter said, you can have confidence that this Christianity thing is true. You can have confidence that Jesus is the Messiah because, one, we saw it. We, we eyewitnessed it. We are ourselves eyewitnessed it. I mean, we saw God speaking from heaven. This is my son whom I well please. We witnessed with our own eyes Jesus here on the earth. So you can be confident that, one, we saw it. We're eyewitnesses. It's historically true. And two, because Jesus fulfilled all of the messianic prophecies. Jesus is the Christ. He is the one true Savior of the world. It's true. And to put that theory to the test, a professor named Peter Stoner calculated the mathematical probability of a singular person in the first century fulfilling just eight of the most clear messianic prophecies. And here is his conclusion. The chance that one man might have lived and fulfilled just eight prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. That number is this right here. Okay, one to the 17th power. Now, you're probably curious. I wonder what the odds of winning the mega millions would be. Okay, that would be one in about 300 million. So that, that's a three with eight zeros if you want to win the lottery with eight zeros. This is one with 17 zeros. Now, there aren't just eight prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about the coming Messiah. There's actually almost 200 prophecies that are very specific and detailed about who the Son of God would be and what that was going to look like and uh, where he was going to come from. And the odds of 48 of those 200 being fulfilled by just one man named Jesus is one in 10 to the 157th power. Okay, I did not have room on the screen to write that number. So that, imagine that is the number one with 157 zeros behind it. Isn't that incredible? God is in the details. And Matthew goes out of his way to defend who Jesus is. He provided us his genealogy, his family tree. Now he's providing specific details about his birth, including the specific location of his birth. He was conveying to his readers, hey guys, this is him. This is Jesus. This is the one you've been looking for. He is checking all of the boxes. This is Jesus, the Messiah. And I wonder, what would it look like for us to have that same sort of attitude? Hey, everybody, this is it. Jesus is it. Jesus is the one you've been looking for. Jesus is the one you've been in search of. Jesus 
is the Messiah. He's who you need to put your faith and your hope and trust in. See, like Matthew, we need to know Jesus and we need to know all about Jesus. So much so that like Matthew, we are able to persuade people toward Jesus. Now, not in a debate sort of way. We're not going to debate them to Jesus. But we need to be equipped with evidence that he is the Christ. He's the Messiah. And you know what the best evidence is? Is you. The best evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is your life. We need to know that Christianity is true. It's imperative that we know the history and the background and we understand all of that. But just as important as knowing that Christianity is true, we need to know that Christianity works. People aren't typically going to come up to you and say, hey, um, I'm looking for some truth. Can you give me some truth today? See, we like to truth people toward Jesus. We like to convince them or argue with them towards Jesus. And, and we understand. We need to know the truth. In fact, Scripture says, hey, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We need to know the truth. But most people in their life aren't walking around saying, ah, I'm looking for some truth today. <laughs> They're wanting to know what works I don't want to just know if Christianity is true. I don't want to know if this Jesus guy is legit or not. I just want to know, is it going to work for my life? What is going to work for me? What makes me feel good? What's going to bring me joy and purpose and meaning and value? See, life has a way of beating us up, doesn't it? Life is not easy. And when people are going through hard times, they just want to know what works. They just want to know what's going to get me out of my depression. What's going to give me some true joy? Can Jesus, perhaps, bring me this joy that I've been lacking in my life? Does this Christianity thing really work? Well, Matthew wanted to persuade his readers that Jesus was it. And so he did so by answering specific questions that they had of him. And like Matthew, I wonder if we can answer specific questions in attempts to persuade people toward Jesus. When they ask, hey, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Can we answer them? When they're asked, man, what is up with all of this sickness? What can really bring me true pleasure and fulfillment and joy? I wonder if anybody can help me with my dysfunctional family. These are the kinds of questions that they want to know. Can Jesus help with this? See, when they ask what brings pleasure, what brings joy, what brings fulfillment in life, do we offer them Jesus? The quest for pleasure and fulfillment and joy is one of the greatest motivators in life. That's, that's what most people pursue in life. They want to know, what can, I, what can I get out of life? What's going to bring me uh, pleasure and fulfillment? It's why we make the decisions that we make. It's why we chose to be with that special someone, because they bring meaning to me. They bring fulfillment. They bring love and happiness and joy. See, we by natures are pleasure seekers, 
We are always in the pursuit of, we are always on the journey for pleasure. What's going to feed me? What's going to fulfill me? What's going to bring me purpose and meaning? And here's the thing. All of those things that we pursue, whether it be job or money or career or relationships, it can bring a certain level of joy and fulfillment. I get that. We all get that. But how many of you know that Jesus is the one who brings true joy? Jesus is the one that brings true contentment, true fulfillment. Even more than all of those things, meeting Jesus brings joy. When the Magi came to see Jesus, they experienced the kind of joy that everybody is looking for. Let's look again at verse 9, 10, and 11 of Matthew chapter 2. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. What do the Magi do when they meet Jesus? They rejoiced. In fact, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. <laughs> Matthew packs in a lot of joy right there, doesn't he? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The Magi had been on this long journey, uh, this pleasure-seeking journey, probably a year or more. And when they met Jesus, they were not disappointed. In fact, it exceeded their expectations. Meeting Jesus causes exceeding joy. There was great rejoicing because the presence of Jesus causes exceedingly great joy. If you're taking notes, that's our first truth from the Magi today. The presence of Jesus causes exceedingly great joy. Maybe you've thought or you've heard that, that serving Jesus is a drag. <laughs> when you become a follower of Jesus, you are now bound to have a long face and you can't have joy, you can't experience happiness anymore. It's just going to be a boring drag. If that's been your experience, I'm sorry, but you've been around the wrong kind of Christians. <laughs> it should not be a drag when we meet Jesus. Meeting Jesus replaces sorrow with joy. Meeting Jesus replaces gloomy faces with happy faces. You know, today, there's going to be crowned a Super Bowl champion on the football field in uh, Tampa, Florida. Who you got, by the way? Chiefs? Buccaneers? You don't have to comment. You probably, you didn't even know who was playing in the Super Bowl. But today, there's going to be some exceedingly great joy by either the Chiefs or the Buccaneers. It's going to be amazing. They're going to experience joy and euphoria like they've never experienced before. But look, Jesus Christ, meeting him, brings much more joy than even winning a Super Bowl. I really believe that. And as Christians, we should have the joy of the Lord all over us, in our lives, on our faces, in our attitudes, in the way we communicate with one another. Sometimes we just have to remind ourselves, man, I have met Jesus, and his presence causes me joy. If you're walking around gloomy and doomy, you need to get in the presence of Jesus. Can I get a better amen, somebody? Yeah. <laughs> 
Here's what David said in Psalm chapter 16. You, talking to the Lord, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So if you claim to know Jesus and are living without his joy, I would wonder if you're living in his presence at all. Are you really living in the presence of the one you claim to know and follow if you are walking around without the joy of the Lord in your life? David said, in the presence of Jesus and the presence of the Lord, there is joy. There is fulfillment. There is happiness. It's not doom and gloom. It's happiness. It's fullness of joy. Well, does that mean that I can have joy when I'm sick? Does that mean that I can have joy when things just aren't going my way? Does that mean that I can have joy when I lose my job? Does that mean that I can have joy when I've lost everything? Does that mean I can have joy even when I'm broke, I'm penniless, I don't have a dime to my name? Well, the answer is yes. Yes, you can. When you're living in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy and bonus, pleasures forevermore. How cool is that? Christians aren't called to hold back their joy. Christians aren't called to walk around with long, sad faces. If you're walking around like like it's some sort of drag or obligation, you're denying what the gospel of Jesus wants to do in your life. The gospel of Jesus is good news, right? Good news. So we are to be bringers of joy. We are to have celebration, an attitude of celebration. When we do that, we are telling the world Jesus has brought joy. Jesus has replaced sorrow and doom and gloom with joy and peace and contentment and fulfillment. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of income or other people, we are completely satisfied because we have met Jesus. And that's what the Magi experienced. Now, maybe you didn't realize this, but the Magi, they studied stars as part of their religion. They were not necessarily um, Jewish people who were following the law of the Lord. And I just love the creativity of the Lord that he met them right where they were. He used what they loved. They were passionate about following, following the stars. So he divinely had them follow this great and bright star. Likely over a year, they were following this star. And God brought them to a place where they met Jesus. He used what they knew to meet them where they were at. God used their false religion, uh, their false doctrine, their false idols. God used everything that they were in search of, everything they were looking for, and revealed to them that it was him that they were looking for. Revealed to them that he was the Lord over it all. Hey, you like stars? You like to study stars? Guess what? I created those stars. (laughs) I spoke those stars. I flung the stars into existence. You like to worship and follow stars? Hey, how about you worship the creator of the stars? He met the magi right where they were. Isn't that cool? God can meet you right where you are. He can meet you when you're going down the wrong path. He can meet you even in the messed up pain of your past. 
God can use the, 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 the misdirection, the wrong path that you're on. If you'll let him, he will enter into your mess and reveal himself to you. And when he reveals himself to you, you're changed. You're changed in his presence, and he brings such joy everlasting. He brings peace and contentment. That's what the presence of the Lord does. It brings exceedingly great joy. If you have joy in the place today, can I hear a big amen, somebody? Amen. Now, let's look again at the second half of uh, of verse 11. Matthew chapter 2, second half of verse 11. Check out what the Magi did next. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, so follow me here. So the Magi traveled from afar. They encountered Jesus. They met Jesus. They worshiped Jesus. And then notice what they do next. They opened their treasures. The presence of Jesus compelled them to open up their treasure chests and bring gifts to the Lord. And it should be the same with us. The presence of the Lord should affect our treasure. In fact, that's the number two thing that we can learn from the Magi today. The presence of Jesus compels us to give. Your money should follow your faith. Don't just say that you follow Jesus when you don't give your time and your talent and your treasures. See, a lot of churches, a lot of pastors, uh, they don't want to go here, right? They don't want to talk about money. That's too personal. That's too awkward. I don't want to get them uncomfortable. But here's the thing. Your money should follow your faith. Your money is actually connected to your discipleship. So I would not be a good pastor and not tell you some of those things. I'm not doing this because I need your money or we need your money or because even God needs your money. This is just part of your worship and response to being in the presence of Jesus. Your money and your treasure tells us a lot about where your heart and your faith is. In fact, Jesus would go on to say, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your money is, that reveals what your priorities are. Jesus said that your treasure reveals what's inside of your heart. That's what Jesus said, not Benny Ferguson. So don't shoot the messenger. Jesus said that your treasure reveals where your heart is. So we can talk a good talk. We can say, I love you, Lord. I serve you. You've got all of me. I'm committed to you. You're my number one priority. But if you're not living a life of generosity, it's just all talk. Don't tell me what you're going to do. Show me what you're going to do. Someone who really follows Jesus is quick to be generous, is quick to open up their treasure. Has your money caught up to where your mouth is? God is saying it's time to put your money where your mouth is. The Magi were delighted to open up their treasures and give to Jesus. They were delighted to give to the young baby Jesus. It wasn't a, oh man, do I have to give? 
Here you go, little baby Jesus. You can have this. No, they were excited. They were delighted to open up their treasury. It was their joy to give to Jesus. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, okay, don't be, oh, do I have to? Or under compulsion, like you're being forced to. For God loves, uh, say it with me, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. It's not a, I have to give. It's a, I get to give. I don't have to give. I get to give. I get to give back to Jesus. I get to sow into the kingdom of God. Because I've met Jesus, because I've had an encounter with him, I joyfully open up my treasure, and give it to him. The presence of Jesus affects our treasure and compels us to give. And all the generous people out there said amen, amen, right? Then, verse 12, and we're almost done. I hope you're with me online, viewers. We're almost done. Verse 12, chapter 2, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Your translations say that might say that they went to home a different route. After they encountered Jesus, they had a divine dream and they went home a different route. Being in the presence of Jesus changed their direction. That's our third lesson from the Magi today. The presence of Jesus changes our direction. The presence of Jesus changes our direction. Now, remember, the Magi were supposed to go back and report to the wicked, evil Herod. He had asked them, hey, make sure, come back and tell me where you found him so I too can worship him. But of course, we know that he had ulterior motives. But after being in the presence of Jesus, the Magi said, you know what? I think we need to change our direction. We were, our plan was to go this way, but I think we need to go that way. Now, their plans changed after having encountered the presence of Jesus. They were pointed in a new direction. Meeting Jesus should point you in a new, new direction. Meeting Jesus should transform you. It should transform your direction in life. It should transform your purpose in life. It should transform your destiny in life. An encounter with Jesus changes our direction. That's how powerful his presence is. When we enter his presence, he enters us and changes us and changes our direction. He changes what we do. In fact, more than that, he changes our want to. He changes what we want to do. See, God's not interested in some sort of uh, superficial, mechanical type of religion, is he? He's not interested in that at all. He's looking for heartfelt devotion. And being in the presence of Jesus changes our direction. And it's not just a one-time change either. 
You know, we need to constantly be pursuing the presence of Jesus and constantly allow him to change us. This goes for those of us that have been serving the Lord for more than a year or 10 or 20 or 30 or however long you've been serving Jesus. Because sometimes we just need that realignment, don't we? Sometimes we get off course just a little bit. Sometimes, ah, man, I'm just off a degree or two, and God comes in when we have an experience with him. He steps into our lives and says, hey, son, hey, daughter, I know you're headed here, but I need you, I need to realign. I need you to be realigned with my plan, be aligned with my purpose and my plans for your life. We need to constantly be pursuing the presence of Jesus and allowing that presence to change us to change our direction. And one of our teenagers, I want to show a, a story of him. He's got a story that he wants to tell you of his encounter with Jesus that gave him a new direction. Check this out. Hello, I'm Trent. I'm 16 years old, and I was raised in Thermont in a Christian home. And the things I cherished the most was when we went on vacation with each other, played games, worshipped, talked about funny stuff, sang songs together, and just had fun together. So I remember just like it was yesterday, I was distancing from my family. I wasn't talking to them as much. I was hanging around the wrong crowd, getting curious with things that what they were doing, and they weren't the greatest things to be doing. So I dove headfirst right into trouble. I was smoking weed, selling drugs, drinking, and I even broke into a house. And I really didn't know how far I was going into trouble, but I was going headfirst right into it. And I remember like it was yesterday, my parents were pushing the youth retreat on me. I wanted absolutely nothing to do with it, but they kept pushing it on me, and eventually I caved in. I went to this youth retreat, and little did I know that he would change my life forever. I remember walking into the worship, everybody with their hands up and their eyes closed worshiping God. And I told myself, I might as well make the most out of it. So I put my hands up and I closed my eyes and I truly have an encounter with Jesus that changed my life and its direction forever. So before I had an encounter with Jesus, I wanted to have fame, money, my name to be known. But now that I had an encounter with Jesus, I want him to be known. I want his power to be known and I want people to experience what I have now. There's one thing I want you to know, that no matter where you are at in life right now, one encounter with Jesus could change the direction of your life forever. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Come on, let's give it up for Trent, what Jesus has done in his life. I don't see Trent in the room today, but Trent, if you're watching online, we're so proud of you. Thank you for sharing your story with us and reminding us that there is hope in Jesus. For those of you that are here in the room, I'm just going to ask you to quiet yourself before the Lord. In fact, you may want to once again close your eyes and bow your heads if you're joining us online and you're able to do that. Why don't you just take a moment and quiet your spirit? It's time to spend some time with the Lord right now. He wants to change your direction. He wants to have an encounter with you. He wants to change you and make you more like him. So right now, I just want to ask you to ask the Spirit of God how he would have you respond to what you've heard today. Come on, just take a moment. Lord, what are you speaking to my heart today? Lord, thank you for the 
the lessons that we've learned from the Magi and from the Gospel according to Matthew. We thank you that your word is so detailed and specific. We have confidence that you are the way, the truth, the life. Lord, I pray that we would be so confident that we'd be eager to share the hope of Jesus with others. We'd be quick, like Matthew, we'd be quick to persuade others toward Jesus. And then, Lord, I I pray for our encounters to cause us to be filled with exceedingly great joy. Come on, right now, maybe you're struggling with finding that joy that you once had. You know Jesus. You're a Christian. You love him, but you've been lacking that joy. Maybe the, the word of God is speaking to you right now that you need to ask him for just a new baptism of joy. Lord, I pray that we would have an encounter with you, one that would change gloomy faces to joyful faces, one that would turn sorrow and and depression into joy. Lord, I pray for those that that aren't yet giving. Their money and their faith aren't connecting. They've kind of lacked in this area of discipleship. Lord, we we look at the Magi and we recognize that an encounter in your presence causes us to give, causes us to give our our talent, our time, our treasure. And Lord, like we just saw with Trent, we understand that an encounter with you changes our direction. So Lord, perhaps there's someone here today in this room or watching online, they need a new direction. They're ready to make a decision to follow you. In fact, if that's you and you're ready for a new direction in life, all you have to do is invite Jesus into your heart and follow him. That's all he said. He he didn't say, get yourself cleaned up first, get your behavior in line first. He just said, believe in me and follow me. And so right now, why don't you take a moment, invite Jesus into your heart. Just say a simple prayer like this, Lord Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I have failed. I have messed up. I have lived in a way that has not been pleasing to you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I repent of my sins. And I invite you into my heart right now. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, rising again for my sin, for my salvation, for my redemption. I invite you into my life right now, and from this day forward, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you said that prayer, we invite you to go online, calvarymd.com. There's an online card there. We'd love to hear about your decision to follow Jesus. And if that's you here in the room, just write on that connection card, today I made a decision to follow Jesus or I renewed my commitment to him. Fill that out. Leave it on the seat. We want to get you a Bible and help you on your next steps. Hey, before we go, if you're in the room, let's stand together. We're going to have Pastor Sean and the team lead us again in a time of worship. Let's respond and encounter the presence of the Lord Jesus. Let it change you today. Let it make you more like him. Lord, we're asking for more of you, less of us. Right now, we enter once again into your presence.